Welcome to Faith Kit, a weekly conversation with Rev. Dr. Glenn Miles and noted guests, dialoguing their life of faith in today's culture. Let's join Dr. Miles and today's guest. Hi, welcome to Faith Kit with Glenn Miles. I'm the senior minister here at First Community Church, and my guest today is the Rev. Dr. John Ross, the executive director of the St. John's Bible Project. Did I, did I get that right, John? Is that correct? Uh, yes, close enough. St. John's Bible Heritage Program. Bible Heritage Program. Okay. All yes, right. St. John's, John's Bible Heritage. Heritage Program. Well, that's our first question. Tell us a little bit about what you're, about yourself, where you're from. There's some listeners here who may not know who you are, as famous as you are around Columbus. There might be some <laughs> who don't know you. So tell us your backstory and then what you're doing now. Well, uh, I was born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, my, uh, my, my parents were members of Bethlehem Presbyterian Church there, and I was baptized by Lloyd John Ogilvy. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he went on to some fame and, and some notoriety in the, as the Senate chaplain. But um, that, that, I mentioned that only because church is kind of the pool that I've been swimming in since I was born. And um, have enjoyed uh, throughout my family's life, uh, uh, you know, a real centering on faith and have had a great blessing of, of being part of, of great churches uh, with wonderful programming and offerings since, uh, since my youngest days. But I would say that my hometown is Columbus, Ohio, as you say. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hardly famous in that space, but I had a good long run there. Uh, growing up from grade school through high school, um, did uh, my undergraduate degree at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, where the greatest thing in my life happened when I met my wife, Sheila Foster. And uh, we have since then gone on to have four kids, Brady, Madeline, Anne-Marie, and Logan. Uh, Logan, our baby, is a first-year student at Creighton University in Omaha. So um, we are officially empty nesters as of just a few months ago, uh, not quite a year ago, I guess. And uh, even though kids keep coming home, there is a very real empty nest experience for us. And it's, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a mixed reality, for sure. Anybody that's been through that knows kind of what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, yep. Let's see, after Miami, I went on to a couple year career in medical sales supply, medical supply sales in, uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, which was a great time for a couple years. Um, lots of fun, probably more money than a 23 year old should have. Uh, but I got the call back to my home church, First Community Church, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, went back there at the end of 1990, right? Started my official role there in 91. Um, they were willing to put me on the payroll part-time if I went to seminary part-time. So I did that for about three years. It was full-time work and eh, marginally full-time <laughs> seminary work. Uh, I definitely enjoyed my time at the church more than I did the seminary. But Methesco is a great place. Gave me a good good basis for things that I would learn later. Um, a few years later, went on to get my D-min, my doctorate of ministry degree from Chicago Theological Seminary. Um, and after serving there at First Community for, I guess, about 13 years full-time, um, 
just started to get um, a little bit of an itch for a new setting, but more importantly, was starting to get calls from places interested in what I might bring. And uh, the second church of two that I would serve over 30 years called me. Why is that a community church? Called me up. And at 36 years of age, I came up, took this great, big, wonderful church on as the senior minister with lots and lots of support, but a great chance for our family just to put down roots in one place, stay put, have some stability for the kids. Um, and the church really honored that. I, I told them from my earliest days there uh, that I'm a husband and a father and a minister uh, in that order. Uh, husband to Sheila, father to the kids, minister to this uh, uh, church. And as long as we kept it that way, everything would be fine. And that's what we did for about 17 and a half years, almost 18 years um, there at Wyzetta Community Church. Last year, 2021, emerging from COVID, felt like a good chance to give the church a chance for some new leadership, new ideas, fresh start and a good time for me in my life for the same things, fresh start, new opportunities. So left formal ministry, but shifted over to a unique place called St. John's University and Abbey in Collegeville, Minnesota, where, uh, as you said, I'm the executive director of the St. John's Bible Heritage Program. And um, I could tell you more about that if you want to know it, but that's that's where we are. That's the fast version. Um there you go. Say a little bit. Say say a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna split the question I've got for you here on, uh, between Wyzetta and St. John's. Say a little bit about uh, uh, your time in the ministry and and uh, just in general. What, what were some of the best things and and also what were some of the most difficult things? If you want to, you don't have to get into that too much. Yeah. But I'd love to hear. Yeah. I, my listeners love it when you get when our our uh, guests are honest. So. Close well, yeah, no, that's interesting. I um, if I split it between my time as a local church pastor and what I'm doing now, uh, I, I was I was prepared for the latter, but let me take the former first. The best and worst of being a local pastor for me, um, the best was just developing really deep, meaningful relationships in the context of really important work. Um, you know, when I think back on the development of a high school ministry that didn't exist when I got there, of expanded missions that that reach literally around the world now that that just weren't in place uh, when I got there, or the camp ministry or the parables ministry to special needs, all of those things happened through really deep and meaningful relationships and just good old fashioned hard work. Um, that was that was the best. The worst was probably the way that the institution could get in its own way around every corner. If it wasn't you know, another darn committee um, or a structure that doesn't facilitate institutional knowledge. You know, I got a new boss every year for 17 years. Ask right. anybody in your pews how they would feel about getting a new right. boss every year. Um, that was the hard stuff, but none of it was... Um, was debilitating. None of it was um, uh, corrosive or anything. It was just, um, uh, you know, just a good long run. 16 and a half years of it was like off the charts, just a total blast. It just got a little hard at the end, uh, as it did for a lot of people, especially especially once COVID hit. 
in the new job, it's kind of the opposite. I get to meet new people every week of my life. And, Hmm. and as a highly extroverted person, that doesn't scare me at all. I love meeting new people. I was always a little envious. You know, the kind of people, Glenn, that like come swooping into a church for a weekend retreat or for an evening uh, speech or something like that, you know, and, and, and they get to, they get to put their best self forward. Right. And then, and then they go away. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) You don't, you don't get the, you don't get into all the messy stuff of every, you know, right. real human right. being. It, it's kind of nice being that person, just kind of coming in and just having tons of fun and doing meaningful work. And then, and then heading out. Um, that's, that's the fun part. The, the hard part right now for me is just tons and tons of travel. Um, I've mm-hmm. flown over 55,000 miles since January um, and I haven't even made my first international trip yet, but that's going to start kicking in. Um, and there's a whole challenge to that. You know, I for almost 18 years, my whole world primarily existed within about a five mile radius, you know, of my home. And, um, you know, you could get into good rhythms and routines and disciplines. It's It's a lot harder when one week you're in DC and the next week you're in Phoenix and, uh, you know, whatever, wherever. Um, but, uh, but I don't have any real, uh, complaints about, about that at all. Feel very, you started last fall. We started in January. Yep. No, I finished at the church on October 31st and I started at St. John's university in Abbey on November 1st. Yeah. There you go. Yep. So, uh, back, back to the church. What's a myth? about ministry that you would love to um, uh, debunk for, for our listeners? Oh my gosh, I could, I could probably give you a list of them, but I won't. Um, the first thing I wrote down was, was more of a joke. The myth is that we only work one day a week. Um, <laughs> but I do know there are people, there are people that kind of think that's the case. Um, Absolutely. In fact, funny story for your first community church listeners. I'll never forget the meeting that I was in with the personnel committee. This was like late 90s, and I was transitioning out of youth ministry, and a couple of new leaders were stepping in who will remain nameless. They weren't in the room, but the personnel committee was asking me about what their day jobs were. Oh, geez. In other words, the personnel yeah. committee literally thought that the, right. that the youth directors, they weren't ordained, but, right. but the youth directors were was just, they were just doing this work on the side. Like, oh my yeah, gosh, right. full-time work plus. Um, but, you know, the myth is that, you know, we keep bankers hours and we get all this time off and all that. It, it's, it's an unrelenting um, work load. Um, you know, I reflecting on where I am now versus where I used to be, I can exhale and breathe knowing that I don't have a deadline every single week, you know, that, that demands theological uh, formation, uh, inspirational content, lighthearted humor, feel you know biblically ground i mean all that stuff uh i really you know i i do I, honestly glenn i pray for you and and my other uh friends that are in ministry to this day because um it wasn't that long ago for me i remember that it's it's a lot it's a lot of work um i think the um 
I, I think my, my famous line is Sunday's always coming. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter what you've just done. Uh, we had a great weekend at First Community this, this last weekend. Lots of fun stuff. Had a big barbecue. I preached two different sermons, a different one uh, Sunday night from Sunday morning, and I did all kinds of fun things. Um, and Monday morning at 7 o'clock, it's time to go. There's got to get the worship service outlined. Got to get the, I mean, you know the run I'm talking about, of course. That's, and in fact, yeah. Paul Anderson, who you know, um, who just uh, uh, left our, our staff as a director of operations, um, he says the same thing. He, he's, he's like, people don't realize how much work goes into getting ready for every Sunday. And, you know, and that wasn't part of his role. Um, just, no. But just being here and observing in staff meetings. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a good one. You know, there's one other that, that I, I, I thought of it right when you asked it in real person instead of my, my first answer. This, I think, is a more important one. Don't ever believe that the leaders, myself included, are as certain or confident as we may come across. There is a very real uh, and deep-seated sense of, uh, of being insufficient to the task that used to weigh on me every single day like right. almost like a fraud like like mentality right like when are they going to figure this out like when are they going to really know how much i actually suck at any of all this you know <laughs> it um you know it's and i think a, an honest person i know you are glenn we all suffer from a sense of uh a, a lack of self-confidence that we just don't let show very often it's it's funny you brought that up uh, Shelly who's my my assistant who uh, scheduled scheduled this for us was just in here to make sure everything went went fine and while we're waiting to get get you online she asked me do you get nervous before these things like every single thing I do I get nervous she's like are you serious I, I, I'm actually sick to my stomach for two hours before nine o'clock on Sunday morning just thinking about what I gotta go do um, and then her comment was well it doesn't show at all well that's part of the game too, right? You got to be, that's not your place to get therapy or, or um, people feeling bad for you. You got to get up and do, and speak a word. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time, I say it's a lot of work. I also say that, you know, none of us is as confident as we typically come off. And especially coming out of COVID, mm -hmm. I think the people in our pews need to show a lot of extra grace along the way. And give thanks to God for any measure of quality leadership that they're getting, you know, like I know yeah, they're getting totally in your church and, and in others like it. Well, and like you said, uh, um, COVID just exacerbated all those feelings mm -hmm. Yeah, you you know, in terms of having no idea what to do and what to do next. Oh, baby. Uh, for, yeah, we were making it up as we went along for a while, weren't we? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think we're still kind of in that mode. Um, all right. So here, here's what we want to go. I want to go next. Uh, this this uh, podcast series is based on my uh, um, summer sermon series, Faith Kit, which is inspired by an NPR ser uh, podcast called Life Kit. Uh, nice. So we want to talk some about some of your, um, uh, what's the what's the cute phrase I'm looking for? Faith hacks. You know, ways you've strengthened your faith over the years, ways you've discovered to uh, enhance your faith, doubts you've faced, um, you, you know, dark nights of the soul, how, wherever you want to go with that. Any, any direction is, is totally fine. Well, I'm, I'm somehow I skipped over this question when I was reading through this yesterday. 
Um, I, cause I was moving pretty fast yesterday. I figured I'd have more time today and then I didn't. Um, but when I looked at it just a few minutes ago, the answer came immediate for me. There is no doubt when I am feeling disconnected, when I'm feeling detached, when I'm feeling scattered, lost, anything other than like sort of my best self. Um, I have to find quiet but more specifically, I have to find quiet in the wilderness. Mm. Um, and it, it may well be a matter of nurture, maybe more than nature. You know, I was a, I was a camper, a kid, you know, from second grade on my earliest days. I remember being, whether it was in the, the woods uh, of Camp Akita down on the Hocking Hills or at the Deer Valley YMCA family camp in Pennsylvania, where my parents first took me when I was two months old, there mm -hmm. is absolutely no substitute for the sense of, of not just peace and calm, but, but, but pregnant and purposeful um, detachment from the everyday. Um, since coming to Minnesota, one of the places that we've taken the kids at one level, or I've taken the kids because Sheila's not a big camper herself. Uh, I, I I've taken one of my kids up to the Boundary Waters virtually every summer. Some summers, two times, two trips, because I'd only take one of them at a time with some other dads and, and their daughters or sons. And uh, that's a place where you cannot, no matter how much you wanted, you cannot get a cell signal. That is a place, no matter how much you want it, you can't get help from um, any sort of organized uh, rescue. Um, I remember going in one year and I was asking them, you know, what, what was to what would happen if like one of us, you know, dies up here? They'd say, you got to paddle them out because we're not coming up. It, it's, 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 it's like living life in a really, really risky context but the risk isn't actually all that real, but it sure feels that way. It kind of pushes you to the edge of, of what you're capable of doing physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, but it also just clears out all the noise and sort of backfills it with, um, with a renewed sense of focus and purpose and understanding. Um, in fact, that reminds me. Uh, it was 1991, and I was leading the first group of students on the trip called La Vida. I, do they still do La Vida? Uh, no. So something, take, something different in place. We take kids up to the Adirondacks. I don't know. It probably went for 20 years or so. Um, but we would take kids up to the Adirondack Mountains of Canoe Trip and then uh, mountain climbing as part of it. And we got up to the top of Mount Marcy in the Adirondacks, the tallest peak in the, in the mountains there with this first group we ever went up there with. And our Sherpas at the top got us in a circle and gave us all separate slips of paper, but they all said the same thing on it. And they all said, I heard and I forgot. I saw and I remembered. I experienced and I understood. Mm. That sense of experience leading right. to understanding is really what I'm talking about. And, and the wilderness can take all kinds of forms. Um, 
so for example, you, you know, the Mexico thing, you were on the Amor board for a long time. That's a wilderness experience. Absolutely. That yeah. Brings yeah. new understanding. The boundary waters is a, is an experience that brings new understanding. Um, so the wilderness can take a lot of different forms and expressions. Um, but at the heart of it is that it's, that it's different than your day to day. And, and there's a, there's an intentional detachment from the rigor and the routine of whatever your normal everyday life may be. Um, it just so happens that for me, the wilderness is the actual wilderness. I just got back from three days in Craig, Montana, where we were on the Missouri river in the middle of nowhere, fly fishing, and we had no cell service. I got off the river and had about 400 texts from family. <laughs> My dad wasn't doing so well. Um, but but for that time that I was off the grid, um, it sort of re recharged the batteries in, in ways that nothing else can. Cool. That's a, that's that's I resonate a lot with that. I'm I'm not much of a camping kind of a guy, but I do love to get to the beach of the mountains and and just as we've done in the desert for so many years, just, just be not, yeah. not, not have to do anything else, but just be, just be present to that place in that moment and get my batteries fired back up for sure. Yeah. Right, I just heard a, a quote this morning. Uh, it was to be present is to be present to the present moment is the greatest present you can give to another. Sometimes the other is actually yourself. And, right. and the wilderness, whether it's the beach or the boundary waters or Mexico, you, you are present to yourself in ways that you never can be when you're in the midst of the daily dirge, you know, uh, especially of, of, of leadership here. Um, and that, is, that, that presence is the best present you can give yourself too. Uh, even traveling in a, a foreign country, a place where you, know, you don't know the language or don't know it very well or the customs and everything, even that opens your mind up and it gets you, uh, op it, it opens my eyes for what I, I've got to deal with when I get back. Um, it helps me see things much more clearly. Yeah, 100%. All right, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, this week's text from Luke 8. I hope you, I, I like to do a cold reading on Monday. Uh, and if you haven't looked at it, you know, it's the, um, it's the text where the uh, man has a legion of demons. And they all go into the pigs and over the over the cliff. What's your what's what's some of the thoughts that just hit you just just cold? I know you probably read the text uh, fifteen times before, but uh, any, anything's off the top of your head when you hear this story. Well, the first thing that struck me because I recognized it um, by the citation. The first thing that struck me is that I had not preached on that passage since I was at First Community, oh, and wow. probably not since I was at Akita. It was a, it was a passage. It was a story that I would use a lot at Akita in, in my talks. I still have my old uh, duct taped up uh, JB Phillips Bible. And I, and I looked, opened it, looked for that passage. I didn't use the John version very often, but I used the Mark uh, version of that same story a ton with students. And I have no idea what I said back then. And it was probably total crap, but uh, I remember it was just so image rich and there were so many avenues you could go to, like, you know, focusing on Jesus and, and his place in it or, or the, the, the demoniac, we call him. We'd probably use different words today. Right. Uh, or, 
uh, or the owners of the pigs? Like that was always an interesting question. Like who owned the who owned the pigs on off the cliff? Poor guy. <laughs> Uh, or the or the townspeople, the disciples. I mean, there's so many entry points um, to that passage. But for me, this time, and I did the cold reading also. I I want to just thank you for that invitation because I I'm not doing that same kind of mm. cold reading and preparation anymore because mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. preaching weekly anymore. And it was really fun to do it because what struck me this time is how much fear there is Mm. in that Mm. passage everybody's afraid of somebody in that passage and it's oftentimes that very fear especially when it's just in a in a person like everybody was afraid of that guy because he acted differently and he he looked differently and um you know there were probably reasons that we would understand that better in our modern age um, than they did then, but they were afraid of him simply for the fact that he was different. different. And they needed to face that. Um, and, uh, you know, until they did, their community would never be complete because it would always have him out on the edge of town, chained up to some tree. And while they're in town doing whatever they were doing, they were not a complete community until until they included him and um, the, the raw fear of all that really struck me. And it's, it's not unrelated to the wilderness thing that we were just talking about. You know, there's something about the wilderness that scares the life out of us, you know, whether it's the kind of wilderness that Jesus goes into in Mark, you know, when he goes off in for temptation of wilderness or, or like, you know, up in the boundary waters, a funny thing, I've, I've never probably told this story in public, but every year, the first night up in the boundary waters, remember, we're 8, 10, 12 miles in on canoes only, multiple right. portages, we're, there, there's no way out. If my 10-year-old son had slipped and cracked his head wide open on a rock, I don't know what we would have done. If I had had like a heart attack or something on the way up, you know, carrying a canoe over my head, which I shouldn't have been doing, or threw out my back or so, who knows? Who knows what would happen? It was scary to the point where the first night in the Boundary Waters every year, I would lie awake most of the night in a mild state of panic, Hmm. like almost full on panic attack. And over the years, I kind of figured out how to manage that over time. But at the heart of it was just raw fear. Right. And then by the next morning, the first morning of the first full day up there, I was fine. Hmm. From then on, like I slept like a baby the next three, four or five nights, however long the trips were. Yeah. And, and I, I see a ton of fear in that in that passage. All there over. is. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And you just gave me a great angle to uh, work on tomorrow when I start putting my notes together. That's <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, I, I had, a, had a couple of great illustrations from Amy Butler last week on this podcast uh, that I worked into my sermon too. So um, I'll buy you a Coke or something down the road to uh, cover, cover the <laughs> big, cost. big spender. I, I still am. Yep, absolutely. All right. A <laughs> uh, uh, couple, couple of uh, easier questions to, to, to round off here. Um, yeah. What are three books? What are three books you'd love for, uh, uh, our oh. listeners to, to pick up. And yeah. Um, I was thinking about this. Um, the first one, 
and I'm, I'm being serious here. The first one I would recommend is the St. John's Bible. <laughs> it, it, you, you can't get your hands on the original. You can't get your hands on the heritage edition. Although, I mean, some of, some of your listeners will, cause they're, their their church or university might have a heritage edition, but it it really is a transformational way to engage scripture. Um, we we don't think much about the artistry of of scripture, um, but it's rich and it's deep and it's meaningful. And when you experience, it's like I said earlier, if you experience something differently, it brings you new understanding. And the St. John's Bible gives you that opportunity. And there are ways that that anybody, you know, listening can, can find that text and experience it even, you know, at least from a distance. So I love, yeah, I, love that you, I was just gonna say, I love that you, you brought it to our retreat. Um, when was that back in, in April when we were down at Akita yeah. and got yeah. to yep. see it in person. And there's just, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Grand Canyon. You just can't describe it until you see it. Uh, it, it's just yeah. magnificent. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It was fun watching you three react to it because I know that deep down inside, you guys are thinking to yourself, what in the world is JR doing? Like, what is this St. John's Bible thing? This is, this sounds crazy. As, as far as it you is, know, we never, little... we never said anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is a little crazy. It's, it hasn't been done in over 500 years and it's never been right. done on the monumental scale of this thing. And it's, it's, it's worth the time and effort. Um, and I, I, you know, you and I have been talking about ways I can bring it to first community sometime down the road. And that'll be, that'll be a ton of fun to do that. For sure. You bet. The second book uh, I would say is called Necessary Endings. Mm. Um, it's, it's as much a management book as it is uh, a leadership or sort of therapy kind of book. Um, Necessary Endings. Of course, I already forgot the, the author's name. Uh, but your your listeners are smart. They can they can ask the lady in their phone who wrote Necessary Endings. Let me put it this way. If I had read that book 15 years ago, I would have made significantly fewer mistakes in my management of people and my leadership of particularly of a staff of people. Um, hmm. It's really, really, really good. I, I remember listening to it first and then going back and actually reading it with my eyes. And in both cases, I remember, you know, weeping as I read it thinking, gosh, if I had just had that insight or that conviction a few years ago, mm -hmm. I, I could have done a better job for the people that I was trying to serve. Um, so necessary. Okay. Ending. And then the last one, the third one, I mean, just reaching way back, when I think about books that just still have meaning, and I read them like 30 years ago, um, when all you've ever wanted isn't enough <laughs> uh, by Harold, Harold Kushner, you know, it's only about that, that thick, you know, it's a skinny little book, but man, page per page, it is so packed with meaningful anecdotes and wonderful images and lessons. And I think it's as relevant now as it ever has been. You know, COVID totally has been such a full, full stop for people in their pursuit of everything they don't need, um, that this helps sort of undergird that mentality again. I love that book. Uh, and I, I still pull it out and, and quote it in sermons and use it, use it all the time. Um, so the, the next question is on, on movies, but I got before we get to them, got to tell me, have you seen Top Gun Maverick yet? 
No, I haven't. I know. I might go tonight because Sheila's got a work thing. It's going to be like 95 degrees out, so I'm not going out on the lake. Uh, I may go tonight. And and by the it's way, totally fine. That's, that's one of the three movies I was going to tell you to go see because oh. we got to get back in the movie theaters. We have to get Absolutely. that that economy, that experience, you know, sort of re, uh, re, uh, resourced because there's nothing better than going to the movies. Oh, Julie, Julie and I got a big bag of popcorn and went to an IMAX version of it, you know, with the surround sound and all. I I felt like I was on a roller coaster. I was flying the plane with Tom Cruise. It was awesome. It was totally fun. I was flying back from Salt Lake city last week and I pulled up the original top gun just to like remind myself, you know, and I had all these sort of visceral reactions to what, you know, my life back in high school when that original one came out. Um, sure. The other two pretty easy Shawshank Redemption. There is, mm. you know, there's a line near the end of it. He says uh, hope, um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the greatest thing of all, you know, something along those lines. Uh, but that whole movie, aside from the acting and the performances, uh, part of which, by the way, was filmed right up the road from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, oh, so there's there's a there's a joke there. My my trial sermon, I used a quote from that from that movie from Shawshank in my trial sermon here at First Community. Yeah. And at at, at the first service, I preached at North uh, that morning, and then I came down here to South and preached. And they took a vote after the the South sermon. At, at least a hundred people at North said, did you know Shawshank was filmed in Ohio? Did you know Shawshank was filmed in Ohio? So I was like, I've learned that this morning. When I got up, when I used the quote here, I said, and before you tell me at the door, I know it was filmed in Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Every time it comes up in a conversation, somebody will tell me, did you know that was filmed here? Uh, Yes, I did. Well, a great movie. Yeah, it's just a great movie. He says, remember Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Yeah, that's a great line. I think that's the line I used in my sermon. Yeah. Yeah, and hope, you know, by the way, uh, First Community Church and your seven keys, is it still seven? Yep. Should add an eighth. The mm. key the key of hope. Oh, that's a good idea. It's not that's in there. a good idea. Not in uh, there. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure Sarah Keens listens to this uh, this podcast and gets that note. <laughs> yeah, I just, Sarah, so she's terrific. She's terrific. She's- She's awesome. Camp's going great at Akita, as you can imagine. Um, so uh, was that was that three movies or just two? How many did you mention? Uh, that was two. Oh, the third one is it's just a fun one from uh, my my years right out of college. But a movie called Fandango. <laughs> it's just about the the youthful exuberance and the stupid things we do when we're about twenty years old. And right. Um, right. And if it offends anybody, well, deal with it. Get over it. Yeah. Get over it. All right. All right. So you, all my guests get the last word. What's your last word for us? Uh, Micah six, eight. It's always been my uh, last word for, you know, mm-hmm. 25, 30 years of ministry. Any service I concluded with Micah six, eight wasn't original to me by any stretch. In fact, people always wonder, where'd you hear that? Uh, it's in the Bible. <laughs> um and your predecessor, a couple senior ministers ago, Barry Johnson, also used it quite a bit. And uh, it's simple. What does the Lord require of us? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Amen. Amen to that. That's a beautiful word. And uh, JR couldn't have had a better time. It's great to see you. 
Glad things are going well. Everybody here is proud of you. Everybody that knows you is super proud of you. We, we, you come up in conversations all the time. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome to be in your shadow here. Trust me. Well, you're, you're very kind. You've always been good to me, Glenn. I appreciate it very much. And I, and I look forward to coming, whatever we end up doing. Somewhere or another, I'm going to bring this great big monumental Bible back home to my home church and look forward to seeing you then. Yeah, man, we'll make it happen. All right. Peace, dude. All right. Take care, Glenn. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you for being with us in this episode of Faith Kit. Join us next week for another enlightening conversation.